You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Pete Wilmoth. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's July 19th. Who participates in youth sports programs? What prevents participation or enables it? And how is the funding landscape for youth sports shifting? Rand launched three large-scale surveys to find out. 52% of the lower-income parents we surveyed said that their middle and high school kids participated in sports. For middle-income and higher-income families, that number was 66%. So what's behind this participation gap? Perhaps unsurprisingly, lower-income families were more likely to name financial costs as a reason for not participating in youth sports. Although the costs have increased over the past five years, about 63% of the school administrators we surveyed said that school funding for sports has remained flat or even decreased. And so, these increasing costs are often passed along to families, and that's become a burden for lower-income people. The researchers recommend that community-based organizations step in to help reduce out-of-pocket costs for parents. This could lead to more low-income kids getting into the game and enjoying the health and social benefits of sports. When autonomous vehicles, or AVs, hit the road, they could become a target for hackers who want to steal data or cause mayhem. So who is liable when these attacks occur? Manufacturers? Insurers? Vehicle owners? In a new report, we explored several potential hacking scenarios, then considered how the legal claims would play out. One of the scenarios imagines a ransomware attack on an AV, where a hacker disables a vehicle and demands money from the owner before it can be used again. In another scenario in the report, a hacker targets an AV that's owned by a rental car company. This provides an entry point to the company's other computer systems, where customers' credit card numbers and other pieces of personal information are stored. Or, here's a really unsettling one, imagine that a hacker infiltrates a city's smart infrastructure, which is supposed to communicate with AVs. The attacker could control traffic lights and manipulate signals to cause accidents. While the probability of such events could be low, clearly the stakes are high. The report concludes that existing civil liability law is flexible enough to address most claims involving hacked AVs. But there is more for policymakers to consider, including how the legal system might cope with a large-scale cyber attack. An estimated half of the children in the U.S. with mental health issues don't receive the treatment that they need. A new RAND study examines one strategy that could help telephone hotlines that let doctors consult a child psychiatrist about urgent problems facing their patients. Many states have established these hotlines since the early 2000s. Our study is the first to analyze their effectiveness on a national level. Here's what we found. Kids living in states with hotlines were much more likely to receive mental health services than those living in states without them. And over time, more children have been receiving services. Given that untreated mental health disorders in kids can have long-term effects, the greater use of services in more recent years is promising. Overall, evidence suggests that these hotlines may be an important tool, but they're just one part of a broader range of efforts to help children get the mental health care they need.
Both North Korean leader Kim Jong-un and U.S. President Donald Trump emphasized their good personal relationship while meeting at the DMZ last month. The meeting was limited in substance, but it provided a much-needed political boost for diplomacy, says Rand's Nayoko Aoki. But there's a downside to relying too much on personal chemistry, she says. If North Korea is only willing to negotiate a deal that can be implemented by the Trump administration, it could impose time constraints on reaching an agreement. This would further complicate an already difficult task for U.S. negotiators. After all, denuclearization talks are better measured in months and years than in days. President Trump maintains that he's in no hurry to reach an agreement with the Kim regime. But according to Aoki, the window of opportunity may not be as wide as he implies. Earlier this year, 44 states filed a lawsuit accusing 20 major drug makers of inflating generic drug prices. The drugs named in the suit include treatments for HIV, cancer, and depression. According to Rand's Andrew Mulcahy, if these allegations are true, it's more than just a violation of antitrust law. It's, quote, a betrayal of the government policies that created and defended the entire generic drug industry. That's not an exaggeration. According to the lawsuit, the alleged price fixing would amount to patients and health plans being overcharged by billions of dollars. Mulcahy explains that there are many federal and state policies that aim to prevent this problem by introducing competition among generic drug makers. For the most part, these policies have succeeded. One estimate puts consumer and health plan savings from generic drugs at $265 billion. But these same policies that save health plans and patients' money, they also reduce profit margins for manufacturers. And so drug makers have found loopholes to widen those margins. Further policy changes may be needed to close those loopholes and to address market forces that prevent competition. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. See you next week.